Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to Eureka, the show that gets under the skin of science in a good way. As we invite a new expert every week to help us answer one of science's most interesting questions. Insert Isaac Asimov quote. I'm Rick Edwards. And I'm Dr. Michael Brooks. Michael Brooks, PhD in quantum physics is how I want you to introduce yourself, so just do that again. And I'm Michael Brooks, a PhD in quantum physics, which has no relevance whatsoever, so why am I keeping it? Can you get rid of it? Can you you just lose it? I can't just... Could you just be regular old Mickey Brooks? Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) anything but that. (laughs) So uh, what are we up to today, Rick? I was thinking about the fact that we've just got through, or I suppose it's still in the tail end, but just through sort of festival season. And you just had the, the 75th anniversary of the Edinburgh Fringe. Yeah, yeah. I went up for a night, had a lovely time. Who did you see? N- Notting Hill. I saw, so I'd literally only there for a night, so I saw Mark Silcox, who has been doing the same show, we think, for 10 years. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, the guy's insane. Nailing it, though. Uh, I mean, no. It, it's, no. It's so, it's like performance art. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, Ivo, Graham, who was oh, brilliant. Yeah, yeah. And then Tim Key. Also, we've just had Carnival, as in Notting Hill Carnival, yeah. Reading and Leeds, all of the music festivals. Yeah. So, and the thing is, <laughs> what occurs to me, and I don't really include the, the Fringe Festival in Edinburgh with this, but music festivals, I just, oh, it's not for me, really. I don't get them, but people absolutely love them. So I was just thinking, what is what is so good about? It? Like, <laughs> so what is it? I think we've talked before, haven't we, about when we went to Blue Dot and you just wanted to go home. Well, no, I wanted to watch Ronnie Size, yeah, and then bit go of drum home. and bass, and then go home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but I was, I, I, I was really disappointed by that. I know, I know. But you were I'm just sorry. like throwing a real strop about, like, I want to go I'm home just, now. I just, I just wanted to go home. Yeah, I'm, I'm just always tired, and um, I, I mean, in all honesty, I think for me it is just I did I just worked at so many festivals. How's he? Busman's um, holiday. Yeah, and now I just sort of weirdly associate them with work and yeah, yeah, just yeah, just don't really get much out of them. But <laughs> point is, people love them. People love them. Really love them. Spend loads of money on them. Like it's a it's a a proper event. Yeah. In yeah. the year, like some people will spend as much as they would on going on holiday. Yeah. Going to a festival and get just as much out of it. I don't, but I'm sort of interested in in why people do. If you love the bassy boomer, your favourite artist playing live, waking up in a soggy English campsite or buying overpriced beers, you're proving to a festival. But what is it about that adrenaline rush of loud music and a crowd of hundreds, thousands dancing under the sun and the stars that gets people coming back year after year? 
from Glastonbury to Coachella, Woodstock to Carnival. It seems that these festivals all continue to retain their significance and gravitational pull within popular culture, even after a pandemic. But why have we become so addicted to these raving events? And what makes them just too good to miss? So that's why we're asking this week, what is so good about festivals? I really like our expert today. Uh, he's a guy called Demetrius Zigalatis. He's a professor of anthropology uh, and psychology at the University of Connecticut. Purely by coincidence, I'd watched a, a TED talk of his uh, uh, a while okay. ago. I um, really enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah, his, I've uh, seen his TED talk as well. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Um, it's interesting. Um, and, and we'll talk a bit about the, the, the stuff that he mentions in it. Um, and he's got a new book, which is fresh off the press, if the press exists anymore. Yeah. Because it sort of does. Yeah, I think, uh, I think something it like a press. Except exists. the Kindle edition is not fresh off the press. No, no. Um, but it's called Ritual How Seemingly Senseless Acts Make Life Worth Living. Uh, and he explores the types of things that we do, so our individual and, and collective behaviours that ultimately make us human. Nice. So for centuries, festivals have been celebrated all over the world. Uh, and I asked Demetrius to talk me through exactly what we can learn from them. I think when we look at different societies around the world, at first we're struck by the incredible diversity, all of this variability in their forms. People express themselves in all kinds of different ways. But when we look more closely, the thing that we realize is that at their core, these events are fundamentally similar. So you will see that most collective rituals will involve things like music and dancing and synchronized movements. A lot of the time they might involve physiological or emotional arousal, and their functions are also very similar. Those kinds of rituals across time and space, they have very often provided uh, entertainment, but at the same time, they help human beings connect to one another. They help communities bond, they help boost social cohesion. And I think these are the kinds of the features of collective rituals that are stable across human societies. So festivals or rituals have been going on i mean for a really long time i mean presumably as long as humans have been around essentially yeah so the earliest example uh, that i could find any reference to was one from sort of seventy thousand years ago right in a cave and there's a big sort of drawing of a python i think it is and it looks like a load of arrowheads have been burnt and some of the arrowheads are sort of like almost imported, so they're made from a material that's like from hundreds of miles away. Right, so you've yeah. made a real effort yeah. to get these arrowheads, and then you've burnt them. And it looks like some kind of ritual to maybe appease a man-eating snake or something like that. And you can sort of imagine the scene, really. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's and we've all been that's, there. Yeah, I mean, listen, who hasn't burnt an arrowhead to try and ward off a snake? <laughs> Uh, and that, yeah, so that's a long time ago. But that you, you could kind of see how that fits into the continuum of sort of festivals slash rituals. Yeah. And so I mean, we can just sort of talk about some of the festivals that have been going on for ages and their their evolution. So I guess the latitude? biggest one, uh, I'm not going to talk about latitude. We're not just going to talk about ones that we've been to <laughs> together. <laughs> Feels like latitude's been going on for ages. Latitude, blue dots, and then <laughs> really no others to really mention. But so. Carnival is like the world's biggest party, and there's all different forms of carnival. Yeah. So I, th I guess that you immediately think of the one in Brazil, but actually it started earlier than that. It started in ancient Egypt, 
as a kind of pagan uh, festival that just celebrated the coming of, of spring. And then Alexander the Great came in, he conquered Egypt, and he was like, yeah, okay, we'll have that, and, and, and uh, then mix okay. it. And then that was adopted or sort of assimilated by the Romans from the Greeks. And then it was given a sort of Christian meaning after that, but uh, and it was called uh, Carne Vale, which means meat farewell good good goodbye to the to the meat well like so we're gonna eat all the meat yeah so it's the feast immediately before lent oh okay so carnivale that's where that's where it comes from and then you've got the portuguese so they would have had carnivale and then they went over to brazil and and, and south america with loads of of slaves yeah um and then carnival sort of then became a fusion of European and African rituals, mm. and it sort of grew into what you recognise as as carnival over there now. Um, and so that yeah, so that's a very very long running uh, event. The carnival that's is everywhere. It, 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 oh yeah, it's everywhere. So there's there's a version in in Quebec that's uh, that's the third biggest in the world, I think, and that's in 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 the winter. You wouldn't really recognise it as being the same thing, but it is. Mardi Gras is another version of yeah, Carnival yeah. in, in New Orleans. It's celebrated in Goa, again, because I think you have Portuguese settlers yeah, well, in that part of I, India. When I lived in Guinea-Bissau, which is a Portuguese colony, they had Carnival every year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, you had, uh, you've got a version in Trinidad that's really interesting. So um, the French would be celebrating Lent, and then the African slaves who were excluded from that started their own parties with calypso music that was sort of directly like mocking the french <laughs> and then and then those two have over time sort of fused so it's be- that's become a big part of their right. carnival so it's really interesting there's so it was like sarcastic carnival yeah in a way yeah <laughs> or, or just or not really sarcastic but just like taking the piss out of these like obviously you're gonna hate the people who yeah, are your, yeah yeah um yeah your slave masters and you're you're just poking fun at them um nice and then, and, and there's, there's other um, festivals that you see different versions of. So, summer solstice is a really, is a really big one. Right, so June yeah. the 21st. So, um, Stonehenge, not, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So that that sort of five thousand years old. It's sort of vaguely aligned with the sun's movement, and so yeah. people go there and you know celebrate with flutes and sort of flower headgear and all that kind of hippie stuff. <laughs> That's been going on for ages, <laughs> druids. Um, but then in, in, in different places, it's celebrated in, in totally different ways. So in, in South Asia, it's like the International Day of Yoga. Uh, the, oh, the pagans... God, God help us. Uh, yeah, no, not, not, not for me, that. <laughs> uh, you have Midsummer in, in, the, in the Nordic countries that sort of heralds the start of five weeks of holidays for, for the kids. And it's sort of a love and fertility holiday, traditionally. And it, it's all sort of nature blooming start of summer stuff they are all quite distinct and quite and quite different but the like the ancient egyptians celebrated it the the vikings celebrated it um, we still celebrate it today and just looking through some of the <laughs> some good pictures of old festivals that are still going today there's a great one in the pyrenees in the in the basque country they're sort of ringing cowbells yeah. to scare off the devil fine the costumes are insane so it's all sort of skull masks and then people just like dressed entirely in leaves and then people dressed as woolly yaks yeah and that's still going on today 
and it's a bit of fun. Yeah, no, I, I mean, presumably people enjoy this thing. I mean, because it's, you know, it wouldn't happen if people didn't enjoy it and they probably look forward to it. And, you know, if you're dragging stones from Wales for Stonehenge, you know, you're obviously looking forward to, you know, yeah. to the, the, the end result of this. But why, why do we do it? What, what do we get out? I mean, it can't just be like, oh, that's fun. There right. must be it, something more it, to it. it exactly. It? it has to have more. If you're seeing it across different cultures, different times, different yeah. places, it must have more significance just exactly. than this is a bit of fun. Yeah. So I asked Demetrius this. When I look at a musical concert, what I see is a big ritual. So essentially, this is not very different than a religious ritual that involves collective chanting and, and dancing. And this is no accident. Rituals are so successful because they're able to activate, to trigger a wide range of cognitive mechanisms that all individually, but also convergently, are able to, to increase social cohesion. So being exposed to music, having this shared stimulus, already feels like something that, that leads to emotional alignment. Now, if we, if we start moving to that stimulus in sync, there's a lot of research that shows that when people move together like one, they begin to feel like one. Increasing our physiological arousal, increasing our emotional reactions through the use of emotional music, and especially doing this in a shared context, that too, has the ability to boost social cohesion. Being hyper-stimulated by all of these lights and, and sounds, that also puts us in a state of mind that makes us more amenable to this social bonding, and so on and so forth. So a music festival is, is not much different than, than a religious festival in this sense. It may have exactly the same kinds of bonding effects for that community. Demetrius, he touched there on this idea that when people move together as one, they, they, they sort of feel as one. And this is a concept that Emil Durkheim called collective effervescence. Now, I don't know if you've come across Durkheim before. Very interesting guy. So he's a sort of late 19th, early 20th century French sociologist, really pushed sociology as a as a science. It wasn't, I have not wasn't, come across him. Wasn't the first, but one of, one of the first. Uh, you know, you'd say one of the founders of modern sociology. Right. And one of his big ideas was that society is a, is a kind of unique reality where individual consciences all, all interact and kind of fuse to form something that is greater than the sum of its parts. It's okay. a bit like, yeah. emer- you know, the concept of emergence yeah, yeah. in theory of mind. Yeah. That, but on a sort of macro scale. I love that. Which is cool, isn't it? Yeah. Almost like a sort of new reality. Yeah. Um, and, and and so he, he did, he sort of related this to all sorts of questions around sort of morality and religion and the nature of knowledge. Yeah. But his it, the main thing is he was saying society is not just a collection of people because it's also an ensemble of of, of, of ideas and beliefs and, and sentiment and, and, and feelings. Even. Yeah. It's a very complex system, but he, he really believed that something greater was coming out of it. Um. And I'm really into that immediately. And collective effervescence, he thinks, is entirely what religion is is born out of. So he thinks that when a group to, comes together and performs a ritual, it unifies the the, the group. Um, and when they're in close contact, it sort of generates. And he calls it an electricity. And he doesn't mean that literally. I know what he means, though. Yeah, yeah. It's it, it sort of you you create like this really song. yeah yeah like a like a. And it does, it does sort of feel like electricity is still the best yeah, term, yeah, I think, even yeah. though it's obviously not, not that. Um, but a really high degree of like collective sort of emotional excitement, or almost sometimes sort of bordering on, on, on delirium. And yeah. you've kind of felt that. Yeah. Um, and it's, 
it's it's a sort of ex outside of the individual force uh, and it kind of transports the individual he thinks into a kind of new realm which is almost outside of themselves like you're in contact with some sort of weird energy yeah yeah um, no I, I get and, that. and it, that is a little bit sort of hand where it doesn't feel that sciencey, but it's so. Sort but it's of, everyone's experience. It's, it's, isn't you're it? at, you, Everyone can relate yeah, to. You're that. like, yes, yeah. got it. And I, I, I know what he means. And then what's really interesting, he thinks in in religions is what happens. You you project that energy onto a, like a, an object or or a place. Yeah. To be a kind of the, the the totem or symbol of the feeling, and so the object then becomes sacred because it is the sort of tangible uh, representation of that feeling. And he says it's actually just a tangible representation of society like itself. And so the object can be, you know, it can, it can be a carved rock or it can be a, yeah. a feather or a, or a cross. Uh, he would actually say that uh, the idea of God is actually a sacred object, but just not a physical yeah, object. Yeah. Um, and, and, and the reason for that is you need something to, to maintain that and sort of reaffirm that collective unity yeah, yeah. um so it might so, look like ed sheeran it could it, exactly right but genuine is that seems like a mad <laughs> thing to say but that's exactly it yeah um and and that's what and so you repeat these rituals and that reaffirms them and so society sort of maintains its existence and it brings it, it's the social glue really it sort yeah, of brings yeah. uh individuals into the social fold but but what those rituals are can vary massively like it can be a you know like a funeral is one like a rain dance okay. is one uh, like a a carnival a national holiday like whatever just like moments where you bring people together and Durkheim's point really was that these phenomena that like they are real so religions are sort of true because they're expressing the power of society it's not not he wouldn't say that it was an illusion it's a, no, it's yeah, a, yeah. It is absolutely a representation it's a feeling of, of, yeah. of, of togetherness over this one thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he, uh, there's a really nice, I'm just going to read you a, a, a quote from him, or actually I, I might be, I might be butchering a quote slightly, but I, I jotted it down the gist. So he said, uh, <laughs> God and society are the same. The God of the clan is the clan itself transfigured and imagined in physical form of a totem. So, yeah, it can be a plant or an animal. Uh, and he was he was actually talking specifically there about sort of Aboriginal um, societies, um, and 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 when talking about religion, actually, he's like, well, you still have it in secular society. It's just that you're you're sort of transmuting collective effervescence onto other totems yeah. that you're not calling God, or it's not a church, or it's not a cross, or whatever. Yeah. But like Brian um, Cox is touring stadiums at the moment. Yeah. It's that kind of thing, isn't it? D dis disappointingly, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Um, and, and, you know, you kind of, if you're looking for uh, sort of examples of collective effervescence sort of in action, yeah. then you look at uh, the, like the, the prostrations of, 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 of Muslims or the chanting of Buddhist monks or the kind of the, 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 the praise hands of uh, evangelical yeah. Christians. Yeah. And it's all kind of unified motion. Yeah. All together believing in this, in this, totem yeah. whatever whatever different totem it happens to be and in the same way that people would like wave lighters in the air at the end of a concert it's like yeah. that kind of unified motion we're all together in this kind of thing yeah yeah 
so you can see why I was into this. <laughs> this is good stuff. Yeah. This is really good, uh, interesting stuff. So there's something in us that just loves being part of a group. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. It's all I mean, doing the same thing. We're, we're like, we feel a sense of belonging and, and we're just like, oh, this is where I was born to be kind of thing. Yeah, and I feel I feel good about it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I like these people. And yeah. I like the fact that they seem to like me. <laughs> and we're like, we're of, a, we're of one mind. Yeah. Um, and you'll be delighted to hear that there's some good sort of... Uh, evolutionary stuff around why groups are, are useful I am delighted and we will talk about that after we've had a quick break and when we come back we'll discuss groups and the evolution of groups and why it's useful for humans uh, why we love to party specifically uh, and then why people take part in, in rites of sort of terror and pain which they also do do and then we'll be answering this week's question what is so good about festivals 
at an individual level, it doesn't make much sense because it's locally disadvantageous. So if you think about being in a herd and you're like, right, uh, well, I'm going to be very prudent and not eat too much of the available yeah, stuff. Right. And that's that's good for the group. He like, that only works if everyone is buying into that. But there will be like what you call cheaters in there who are just like, amazing, there's, there's loads of food. I'm just going to eat it. Yeah, yeah. So um, we've work. all been at buffets with those yeah, people, Exactly, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And and then suddenly, I've I've done the right thing, but I am, in, in an evolutionary sense, I'm less fit than this guy who's cheating. Yeah, yeah. Um, And so that, then you think, okay, so then how are you going to evolve positive? But you do, like Darwin saw it. Like Darwin saw that you definitely have traits that are dis- disadvantageous to individuals but advantageous to the group so how are they coming about um and what people have realized now is that a group of the sort of like the solid citizens if you like yeah who are being prudent will out compete as a group a group of cheats okay so they're fitter as a group uh and so what you then come to realize is at each level of the sort of hierarchy natural selection will just favor different adaptations and you just have to try and work out normally the individual selection will trump group selection but but not but not always actually right so so um, you, you'll end up with like 80 percent altruistic kind of group people and then but you'll always have 20 percent selfish gits yeah yeah and they'll yeah. survive but but you won't get a group of you, like massive not, massive group of selfish gits no because they actually won't be very good at, at competing with yeah, other groups. Yeah. If you think about hunt, early hunter-gatherers, they can't really succeed at others' expense. That doesn't really yeah. work in, in, in the group. You have to succeed through through teamwork. And group selection, therefore, has ended up being really powerful in human genetic and, and, and cultural evolution. So within hunter-gatherer societies, you see this very clear sort of suppression of like fitness differences really yeah, between, yeah. between individuals. So so you will therefore concentrate your your selection at, at a group level by, you know, you share food, you you put sort of alpha male Will want to be alpha males in their in their in their place. You punish self-serving yeah. behaviours like you really like very egalitarian, yeah. And that will totally make group selection more important than individual selection. And so I think that is where the group. I mean, there's all sorts of as you said, there's all sorts of reasons that that groups are beneficial, but that is where our kind of innate tie to groups, yeah, okay. and enthusiasm for being in in, in groups comes from. And we then have to cement those groups in certain ways. Yeah, so so when you look at the ways that you might try and cement those groups, um, moving rhythmically together, we think, would have been a way for early humans to, to bond. It would be a very sort of early form of, of communication. Um, and, and, and Demetrius actually says it's a kind of ritual is like a social technology um, and there's a kind of instinctive aspect for us to follow rhythm and and be and be driven by it. And in a, in a sort of tribal or, or or religious setting, to lead those ecstatic experiences, you'd have you know a shaman or a yeah. priest or whatever. And now you'll have 
A DJ. A DJ. Or yeah. Ed Sheeran. <laughs> or or actually a quite good example is like a football team where you yeah. feel like you belong to that. And you'll get so yeah, the collective effervescence there is very clear. So if you go and if I go and watch Liverpool yeah. and I stand in the cop, then my collective effervescence is fantastic. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah, I'm really yeah. feeling it. Yeah. If I go and watch uh, you know, Barcelona back in, you know, like five years ago when Barcelona yeah. were good. I'll love the, I'll really enjoy the football. The football on display will be amazing, but I won't have but the same But it'll almost be an intellectual of, enjoyment. Yeah, yeah. It's not, it's not the same kind of gut feeling. Yeah. I don't feel the same. I don't get the collective effervescence there because they're not my, I've decided that they're not my tribe. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and, and Demetrius did this, um, this experiment with, with fire walking. So there's a there's some Greek villages where they do this sort of they walk on hot coals and they've been doing it for you know thousands of years yeah. probably, um, and he, he rigged up biomarkers to sort of measure their um, the like their their heart rates and stuff, um, and and you could see that walking on the hot coals and even watching people walking on the hot coals would create a sort of emotional alignment that you could see in 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 heart rates so you'd have a really high degree of heart rate synchrony wow with okay. the with the people walking on the coals and that would be strengthened if they were your friend or, or a member of your family so the closer that you were emotionally to the person who's walking wow. the, the greater your yeah emo, he'd say emotional alignment would be measured by yeah heart rate that's which is mad. How does that happen? I mean, I don't honestly, I don't know, but that's the observation. And that's interesting, isn't it? Because that's a painful experience, and you're watching somebody go through a potentially painful yeah. experience, and you're sharing it with them. And we're it's like a we're all in this together kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. So probably a bit like watching Liverpool at the moment. So yeah. It's just, all right. All right. So um, I'm hoping that'll fill out a date. <laughs> <laughs> But it's like when but, you, yeah. If you spend a weekend at a festival, then you will, you you'll have that sort of feeling of collective effervescence when you watch a band that you love, and when you watch a band that you're sort of not that fussed about, you don't get yeah. it. Yeah, it's not you know you, yeah. you're not so you have really to synchronizing be invested with those. In yeah, yeah, precisely. And dancing and sort of raves and stuff are this sort of cocktail of um, sort of pleasure and novelty where you've got a bit of exercise and a bit of sort of adventure and you've got a bit of sort of bodily coordination with other people um and then you've got that kind of synchrony with yeah. all, with all, all all together doing the same thing and the nice thing about dancing um is generally like it is exercise but it's normally at a manageable kind of level yeah like you're not fucking yeah, you're not seeing knackered. me dance yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I think as you get older <laughs> it gets less manageable um but it, it's and it's right and interestingly I guess maybe obviously it's right in the sweet spot for um, exercise induced uh, endo. Uh, Are the endorphins? Uh, um, no, uh, no. Uh, cannabinoids. So effectively, oh, the right. body's yeah, own yeah, yeah, yeah. the body's own cannabis. Yeah. So you're sort of releasing that. Yeah. Um, when you're exercising at that kind of at that kind of level, um, and the, the 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 synchrony and the coordination just enhances the sense of of togetherness and that. You'll even see that amongst strangers. You don't need to know these people. Just the act of doing it 
doing a thing all together will make you feel closer to them. Um, and again, it's thought that this might have conferred some sort of evolutionary advantage for early humans to be able to sort of d- dance, communicate in 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 synchrony. Yeah. Okay. Um, but I I'm I understand the pleasure bonding you together thing. But actually, thinking back to that TED talk that he gave, I seem to remember some examples of like horrific pain and. People people put themselves through rituals, don't they, where they are actually painful and they're sort of bonded together through that as well. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, that's 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 exactly right. And I can't I I'm much harder for me to get on board with that stuff. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> I asked Demetrius, are basically are people getting pleasure out of that pain? A lot of the time people ask me whether there's some kind of masochistic aspect to these rituals, whether people perform these very painful ceremonies because they derive pleasure from the pain. Based on all of the ceremonies that, are, that I've watched, and there have been many high-intensity ceremonies, I do not think that is the case. I've never heard of an individual say that we do it because we like the pain. Nobody likes the pain. In fact, people describe that experience as being one of suffering. Now, having said that, this suffering can have very important functions. There can be uh, cathartic feelings that, that come once you the suffering is over. And Psychological research also shows that we come to appreciate things more when we've suffered to, to achieve them. So there's, there is often value in suffering, but it's not the type of immediate or short-term value that comes from, let's say, eating hot peppers. We have known for a while now, at least for sort of 15 years or so, that pain and pleasure are closely related and effectively on the same bit of emotional like circuit board yeah, in, yeah, in, in yeah. the brain if you like um so often immediately before um sensing pain lots of your pleasure receptors are also stimulated yeah um which i think when people first realized this they were quite quite surprised by it. but effectively you, you know that they're on a on a continuum really yeah yeah. So you will get, you know, like dopamine release during a during a painful ritual, um, but that's not the only thing that is going on in, in in the brain. So I asked Demetrius, how do rituals affect the brain and the body, and why? Neuroscientists used to thought about our brain as a as an information processing machine. Its input comes in, then the, some behavioral output goes out. This is no longer the way we think of our brain. We tend to think of our brain as a predictive machine. We know from a vast variety of evidence that our brain makes constant predictions about the state of the world. We try to anticipate events based on our prior experience. That also means that when we don't have enough information, when there's uncertainty out there in the world, we experience anxiety. And this is where ritual comes in. Because ritual, by its very nature, if it is anything, it is structure. It is order. When we perform a ritual, we know exactly what is going to happen. We know exactly how to behave. We know exactly when to do every action in the sequence. And this helps soothe our anxieties. So we have, my team and I have done studies in the Czech Republic, for example, in the, in the laboratory, where we see that when we stress people up and then we use motion detectors to examine their, their behavior, their behavior becomes more ritualized, becomes more repetitive, more rigid, more redundant. And then to see whether this actually helps them reduce anxiety, we went to the island of Mauritius 
and we went inside religious temples, Hindu religious temples, and we saw what happened to people when they engaged in those prayers, which in that context involved a lot of repetitive behaviors. And we see that when people perform these cultural rituals that they're familiar with, their heart rate variability increases, which means that they're better able to cope with anxiety. So is that like um, if you're Catholic and you go to Mass and you go through the ritual of it, and people say, you know, they find it very comforting to go yeah. through those rituals. Yeah. They know what's coming, they know how to do it. And then the idea of like, you know, using a rosary or repeated Hail Marys or whatever, you know, it's just kind of taking control of it, of life in some ways. It's sort of imposing uh, like some certainty and structure. Yeah. Because really what anxiety is, is fear of the fear of the unknown yeah i don't feel like i've got control over this i don't know what's going to happen and so just putting your your mind into a kind of comfortable state where it's like great i know exactly what's happening here. yeah we're doing what we always do and that is calming and genuinely makes people less anxious so that's why you see so someone like rafa nadal right yeah. who's obviously unbelievably good at tennis he has a, a ritual before he plays i think it's like 19 steps Always does exactly the same thing. Right. And it's really like stupid stuff. Like, we'll always have a sip of water before he sips his energy or whatever it is. Yeah, it's like a yeah, load yeah. of stuff that is absolutely, as as Dimitri says, it's redundant. It's not actually yeah, it's doing arbitrary anything. arbitrary sort of stuff. But... but it is doing something. It's calming him. Yeah. And, it, and, and there have been various studies to suggest that will increase your performance as a, as a consequence. Yeah. Because it, I guess it gives you focus. So you're not distracted by anxiety. Yeah. Yeah, but but also I think that anxiety doesn't really improve anything for you. No, I don't think you make sort of better decisions if you're anxious. Like it sort of it clouds clouds your thought processes. Doesn't yeah, it? I mean with sports, you often talk about people getting the yips. You yeah, know, where they get this sort of anxiety mm. about the performance. You're not going to not going to be able to perform because they are worried about not performing. Yeah, yeah, and, and that's why sports psychologists are such big business these days because they're all trying to find ways of, uh, and and ritual is a really good one. Yeah of calming people down saying no it's going to be it's going to be okay you know what you're doing here so looking at dancing scientists were, were thinking okay well it's obviously yeah it, the, there's a ritual element to it there's a there's a there's a courtship element to it there probably was, has always been a courtship element to it you're kind of showing off your you know uh, physical prowess physical fitness suitability to 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 a mate and they wondered if there was any sort of genetic component so they took three groups of people, some elite dancers, some athletes, and then just a random random sample of, right. of people with no sort of distinguishing characteristic. No physical differences. Like you couldn't group them. You couldn't categorise yeah, them. you couldn't look at them physically. and say, oh, yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. But in the dancers, much higher levels of serotonin and vasopressin, two, two hormones that are controlled by a, a couple of genes – both of which are associated with a predisposition for for good social communication. Yeah. So that again suggests this sort of really deep link between dancing and socializing. Yeah. And good good behaviour within within a group. I was really and that's so. If you're two a good genes. dancer, you're basically going to be a good person to be around in some ways. You're well, good that, for I the mean, group. Obviously, or... it's not going to be. That black and white, but yes, but that sort kind of, of yeah, yeah, oh. which is, I mean, I, I also just think it's extraordinary that sort of propensity for being good at dancing might be at least partially influenced by just two genes. 
And I also, so think I, I also think I haven't got them. <laughs> um, and there's, a, there's some interesting studies done around the bonding effect of, of dancing. You can sort of see how it can be good and bad because at Oxford Uni, they did a study with 100 kids, where, uh, young kids, sort of 7 to 12-year-olds, I think, uh, and they divide them into groups, and then you get them all to within their groups to learn a specific dance, and then they would dance in, in front of each other with, with headphones on. Right. So you're doing different dances to different, different tempos, but you can see what the other kids yeah. are doing. And then afterwards, the kids feel closer to the other kids who have been moving in the in the same way. That's like them. a silent disco, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's so exactly. I've been, it, I've been at a silent disco where there's two competing. You you, you will tunes, feel basically. Yeah, and you will gravitate towards the people who yeah. are who are obviously yeah. dancing to what you're dancing to. And I mean, when I've been in one of those things, it almost turned nasty. It's like yeah, in, in group and out group. It's like totally. You, you're almost totally. like tripping the others up. Yeah, and 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 this will overcome previous negative feeling so you can yeah. do it so you, you can do an experiment that shows okay pre, you're wearing like different color you know how simplistic we are yeah. if you're wearing a like you're, you're wearing a red vest yeah and i see someone else wearing a red vest i'm like my guy <laughs> like <laughs> so you can do that with the kids so they sort of so there's a group who they actually sort of don't feel great about but yeah. then if they dance like them that that gets wiped out so it could be quite useful yeah but equally it can be quite negative because you can end so, up so you can use it as a way of, of, of your, splitting groups up. It's splitting or bringing together. Yeah, but definitely, yeah, you can do either. Like West Side Story. Yes, yes, exactly like West Side Story, but with a hundred kids. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so some researchers went to, I think it was Mauritius, and there's these Hindu festivals and these rituals, and and some of the rituals are quite sort of tame, really. So you're just like singing and and praying, and some are. Uh, like really horrible. So they're, they're, they're like stabbing sort of needles and 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 oh, skewers through like yeah. through their cheeks, and they're sort of like dragging carts which are attached to their skin with hook. Like really like brutal stuff. Right? I think what we'd call taking it too far. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And they were sort of trying to look at why why that sort of thing would persist. Yeah, because you look at it and go, it's a good question. That is that's horrible. Yeah, what's what's happening here? And and so they thought, well, maybe it actually increases bonding within the society. And so the way they tested it is, is afterwards, so there are these two groups of people, some, some were doing the tame stuff, some were doing the horrible stuff, and afterwards they'd, they'd, they'd get them all and they'd say, okay, we just want to ask you a few questions about sort of social identity and we'll pay you whatever it was, 200 rupees, mm. to participate. Great, you do that. And then you say, oh, and do you want to, you, you can donate the money anonymously to the local temple at the mm. end. The people who've been through the painful rituals were twice as likely or, or gave twice as much to charity wow. as, as the others. And the researchers were like, aha, that seems to be it. Um, and, and even that if you're, again, that's that sort of bystander effect. So if you're watching, if like your, your, your mate or your brother or, or, or whoever is doing the, the yeah. pain ritual, you'll be more generous as well. Wow. Which Whereas is the guys of, who are over on the other side just like praying and singing. They're like, I mean, they're, they're, still, they're still giving stuff, but they're just not giving, they're just not giving as much. But that's pretty, yeah, so it's all like, pretty extraordinary, know, isn't yeah. it? So you invest in this, you know, in this thing to the point where you're willing to put up with all kinds of pain 
and it kind of demonstrates itself in in the fact that you are so invested that you're you're giving the money as well. It's like you just you don't care, do you? Yeah, well, you just—I think you just feel like you're—you really want to support yeah, the group. You feel like you're part yeah, of the yeah, thing, and yeah. you're and you're full of love for the group. Yeah, and also, people have done stuff where you can show that any form of ritual will will help reduce anxiety. So, um, you you can set people a, a sort of fairly daunting task, like singing in front of a big group of people you don't know and you've got to yeah. go up and do it in 10 minutes and you can take one group and you can say right this is what you've got to do you're singing don't stop believing or whatever it is yeah of course you are uh, and uh it's going to be a nightmare but you know go go and take yourself off for, for 10 minutes get yourself ready go and go and do it and then with the other group you say we're gonna you're doing the same thing but you're gonna do a load of rituals it just doesn't really matter what it is yeah just a load of rituals the people who have done the rituals then perform better. So they sing better, their heart rates are lower, and they report, self-report that they feel less anxious wow. than, than the ones than the ones who haven't. I find this actually quite annoying because I watch people go through rituals like tennis players or yeah, golf. And you, and you golfers, think, well, that's, you think, think oh, well, that's, yeah, what on. you're doing is stupid. Yeah, yeah, just, that's not going to help, and, is it? Just focus. Yeah. And actually... Well, it does take that, Nadal a while to serve. Yeah, example, yeah, yeah. But he's just going through his stuff and it... Yeah, there's and there's a reason for there's, it. And there's actually, a reason for it, and there's it. There's probably things that I do that I could do better if I oh, definitely <laughs> <laughs> if if I incorporated some kind of ritual. Yeah. So my life is is sort of worse off because I don't feel like I have any rituals. Well, maybe I do, but I just I'm just not conscious of them. But I sort of feel like I'm going to look for something, some way of of you know of making myself do rituals. Yeah. Because I think there's things I might do better. I don't know. Oh. I can't see you taking up rituals this late in life. Can't you? I think you can always, you can always no, you improve can. things. Uh, no, no, you? You, you can. I'm just saying I don't think you're going to. <laughs> <laughs> I think you specifically are not going to do this. Because <laughs> I know you. <laughs> and are you going to start to go for more festivals now, now that you realise how good they are for people? No. No? No, no. No, I think we're both uh, sort of stagnating. <laughs> oh, that's so sad. How can we learn all this stuff and then not apply <laughs> just it? Just ignore it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, that is fascinating and it clearly works. You yeah. going to do it? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I'll justify it by saying to myself, well, there is, some, there is some bad stuff that comes out of this, like hazing rituals, like awful oh, initiations yeah, yeah. and stuff in the military. This is all sort of ritualised group bonding behaviour that's not great. Like if you and, yeah, okay. and it's really sort of um I'm gonna stop doing that now. Yeah, so if you have if you have uh again like with kids, because I guess they're sort of malleable, you have uh, a group of kids who do a ritual together and a group of kids who haven't done the ritual, and then you give them some like literally some fucking beads and string or something. Yeah. Then they and in a in a little bag, then they will show it more to people who've done the ritual and they'll kind of keep it away from the people who haven't. <laughs> um, so it's it can be really exclusionary. As yeah, well. like yeah. it's not all good. Yeah, well, I mean, we know that from the history of humanity, don't we? We certainly but, do. Actually. Know, yeah, uh, let's establish it's a really tight group. Always good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> let me think. Uh, we did. We did ask um, Demetrius what's so good about festivals. Festivals are quintessential rituals. So they combine all of these aspects that religious rituals, for example, are able to combine in order to provide important functions to individuals and communities. For example, not to be underestimated, they involve entertainment, 
which we, we can all use every once in a while. But they also involve things like music and dancing and all kinds of synchronized behaviors that we know from research that are fundamental in building group cohesion. They involve uh, emotional arousal, physiological arousal, which can, can help with stress release. They do all of those things for us that some type of religious ritual would have done for our ancestors uh, thousands of years ago. Genuinely, I think I'm going to try this year, this coming 12 months, to get involved more in like big group dynamic things. I think there's, there's positivity comes out uh, of it. I mean, yes, positivity does come out of it, for sure. And it's like really deep in us. Yeah. I'm slightly annoyed. We have this festival uh, just down the road from us um, at Glind, hmm. um, the Love Supreme Festival, like, you know, jazz soul sort of disco festival. Right. And some friends of mine go every year, religiously, one might say. You and might they well say that, absolutely yeah. love it. And this year, particularly, they said it was just like phenomenally amazing. And they bought like their early bird tickets for next year already. Like, like basically walking out the door, they signed up to go the next year. And I was like, oh, can't be that good, can it? Is, is it that good? And I'm genuinely tempted to, to get in, get in, get on board now. Yeah. It probably is. Yeah. And I'm missing out. I mean, I do feel like through the course of this episode, I've definitely got a good understanding of what is good about festivals yeah, yeah. and why people love But you're that still not going to change your. Still not gonna, I'm not going to do anything about it, but I now I get it now. Okay. As, I mean, that's, that's sort of true of most stuff for me. If you can uh, justify it to me scientifically and with some studies, <laughs> I'm like, okay, cool. So your mate's going to say, Rick, you, you come to this festival next year now. Okay, yeah. look, I absolutely understand why <laughs> you would want to do that and what you'll get out of it. But it's still a no. You poor manipulable human. <laughs> it's pathetic uh, how, how enslaved you are by our you evolutionary get your cheap past. Highs from just yeah. doing the same thing as everybody else. <laughs> and it works so well for you and everybody else. And it makes you happy. It's pathetic. Count me out. Eureka is a stack production presented by Dr. Michael Brooks and Rick Edwards. The production team is Temi Adebayo, Katie Baxter, Luke Moore and Charlie Morgan. Sound designed by Katie Baxter. Special thanks to today's expert, Dimitris Zigalatis. Please subscribe and rate wherever you listen to your podcast. It does make a massive difference. We also really love hearing from you guys. So if you have any burning questions you want us to answer, drop us an email at eureka at stack.london or you can find us, as always, on Twitter at EurekaPod. Thanks. Eureka is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network.